Hey, what's going on, champs? I'm Erin Deliosa. Welcome to an Immigrant's Life podcast, my podcast about immigrants and immigration and everything in between. Thank you for listening and downloading the show, and thank you for supporting my dad. Immigrant Nation, we are back for another week. I'm thrilled to have you join us wherever and whenever you are listening, and I appreciate you being here. As always, we want to remind you that our podcast is available on all major podcasting services, including YouTube. If you haven't subscribed yet, now is the time. By subscribing, you'll never miss an episode of An Immigrant's Life. And if you enjoy listening to our show, please give us a five-star rating. It helps us reach more people who can benefit from it. You can also follow us on social media. Our handle is at An Immigrant's Life. We post additional content related to our podcast on those platforms, so make sure to check them out. The biz is done. Now, let's talk about this week's episode. This week, I'd like to share with you the inspiring story of an entrepreneur who started her business as a result of her passion for Filipino desserts. She's an amazing individual that trying to create change in her community through food and activism. So you'll definitely will enjoy this episode. So, without further ado, let's get into the show. Isa, dalawa, tatlo. Today's guest is a pastry chef and a community organizer. She'll fight for your rights while stuffing you with delicious Filipino pastries. Everyone, please welcome Jeline Abinoha. Hello. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> Thank you for accepting my invitation. I really do appreciate it. Yes, of course. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. I mean, cool people only though, you know? <laughs> but yeah, like, like I was saying online, like we have spoken before already and I don't know what I was thinking, but I forgot to invite you. Thank God to shout out to Taylor because she said she makes sure you give me a shout out. So we're giving <laughs> her a shout out now uh, that... Uh, she rekindled our connection, which I really do appreciate. Before we move on, if you want to promote anything or if you want, go ahead, please. Okay. Um, yes, I'm opening a Filipino bakery in Portland, Oregon. We're currently fundraising to um, build out our kitchen space. Um, the link to that is tinyurl shop. Uh, forward slash hollow hollow bakery fund um, we're trying to reach our goal by the end of this month so we can open in july mm, excellent and they can find it on your instagram yes the link will be is in my instagram bio which is shop hollow hollow yes <laughs> excellent excellent uh, portland were you born in portland or did you grow up in portland no, I grew up in um, Renton, Washington. It's a city a little bit south of Seattle, so still Pacific Northwest. Um, mm. But I moved to Portland about 10 years ago um, okay. for school. Mm -hmm. Okay, nursing? Yes, I went to nursing school. <laughs> <laughs> like many, many Filipinos <laughs> went to Why nursing school. Why nursing? You know? Nursing? Um, I think it's funny because it's such a stereotype. 
stereotypical like Filipinos go into nursing school because it's mm-hmm. stable, it's healthcare. But funny enough, my my parents actually didn't encourage me to go into the profession. It was something that I kind of arrived to on my own. Um, I had been um, volunteering at a, a local nursing home um, during high school, and it just um, I'm like the eldest daughter in my family. I do a lot of caretaking for my sibling and then also um, cousins. And it was just a profession that I gravitated towards, um, getting to care for others. I really loved science and um, learning about health and disease and just getting to care for people. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I just, yeah, I I really loved the profession. My my mom is actually a nurse. She's been a nurse for um, 40 years now. She just retired this past year. But in the beginning, she didn't want me to do it because she Mm. knew how difficult it was. Um, And... For me, I was like, yeah, it was kind of the mix of like having growing up hearing that like healthcare is a very stable career, but then also it just aligned with my interest. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I just part of it, too, was I wanted to leave home. I wanted to move out of state, go to school, have a full college experience. um, And Mm -hmm. they wanted me to stay home, go to community college. I don't even know what kind of what profession they would have wanted me to go into. I think um, just growing up there's a lot of like expectation to just still stay near the family, be available to serve the family and whatever is needed. Um, I think they were scared to just let me go off and be independent. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, and then I, I really loved nursing when I was, <laughs> when I was in school, um, it was very difficult. And when I, I graduated in 2016 and it took me a couple of times to pass the NCLEX, because it's very hard. It was very difficult. Um, and then I worked for a few years and and just got really burnt out. The healthcare system here is not great. Um, <laughs> they don't treat our workers well. We don't pay them well for the amount of hours we're standing up on our feet, taking care of four to five patients every day. Um, the conditions weren't great. And I was, yes, getting very burnt out. And I turned to baking as kind of my stress relief. Um, And because in Portland, there weren't very many places at the time to um, get Filipino food, uh, much less Filipino desserts. I started relearning the recipes that I grew up eating, um, things that I'd learned from my grandma and from my mom, because they were desserts and treats that I was craving. Mm. And then I would share them with my friends who also are from like California or Washington or Alaska, where there are larger Filipino populations. So they have more access to the food Mm. who are like, you should start selling this because you can't get this anywhere here. Um, So I started doing pop-ups here and there, um, began working part-time for a local Asian restaurant where I was doing their, um, Mm. making their dessert menu. Um, And then around the pandemic, when things went into lockdown, I decided that if if things are already this, this difficult in healthcare, already just under normal circumstances they're not going to get better um so i i left i left my healthcare job nursing um and then also the the restaurant that i was doing the part time work at had to shut down because of the lockdown mm. um yeah so i started just kind of building my my business from there selling desserts on weekends and i would deliver them no contact to people's homes mm. um and it just grew in popularity much faster than i thought it would originally um, just because for me, it was a, just a way to make income when everything was kind of falling into chaos, you know? Yeah. Um, 
sorry for cutting you off. When you're working as a nurse and you were doing part-time in the uh, the restaurant, like where do you find the time? Because being a nurse <laughs> is like 24 hours already. Yeah, well, I was um, working. It's just three three days, 12 hours a week. I started shifting over to kind of part-time on-call and mm. picking up shifts here and there. Um, and uh, for the restaurant, I was also part-time there. So I would just make the desserts however many for the week that they need. Mm. Um, yeah, Did, it was like that. Okay, you you were got burned out by the by the prof- by the profession being a nurse. Was it because of healthcare or is it was it because of a job? Mm. I think it's a little bit of both. The the job itself is very difficult. Mm. Um I had a hard time just 12 hours a day on your feet and usually it's like not I would it's 14, 13, 14 on your feet all day, barely any breaks. Um and um yeah, I I think for me the kind of breaking point I want to call it is um just a, a specific patient I had um, who had a lot of comorbidities. She was um, houseless as well. And then she had already been in the hospital for about 30 days. Hmm. Um, and it's already like being in the hospital is already such a stressful situation. Your health condition isn't, isn't great. Um, it's expensive. And so I was like, I'm wondering, I, di- I didn't know what it was, but I'm like, I bet her hospital bill is going to be huge. And she already doesn't have a home. Mm. And um, she was, uh, she was an immigrant from Polynesia, and mm. could barely speak English. And so people would talk around her. And I tried to explain to her, but it was just a difficult time to communicate. Um, and when we were finally kind of weighing her options of whether or not we could keep her there or switch her over to a different facility, she um, had this realization that, oh, so no matter what option I go with, I'm probably going to die. And mm. that really, like, there's so much emotional baggage already with caring for patients where this is like a difficult time for them. Mm. But having patients like her, and I've, I've had other experiences like that of like doing everything you can while they're there in the hospital but then knowing once they go back out into the world like what what did I really do to help them because they're going to end up in the same situation with thousands of dollars of medical debt there she she was houseless and so it was like um yeah kind of a tipping point for me where I I realized I'm like how am I really actually helping anybody when mm. none of the systems in place really feel like they're working together to to create a foundation for like a healthy healthy society already, we don't do a lot of like preventative care isn't pri- prioritized, um, and then yes, just trying to kind of navigate the system that doesn't necessarily work for everybody, and then it's already it's already difficult on its own, and then you have the extra layers of. I'm an immigrant who doesn't speak English. I don't have money, that kind of thing. And so it just really struck a chord in my heart. And I, I, I kind of just felt like I'm not, I'm not really helping anybody. And I, that kind of built up over time. And I was like, I don't think I can do this. I don't have the heart to continue doing this. I would bring it home and just be <laughs> very sad and depressed that like, oh, I don't feel like I'm doing what I set out to be doing, which was to take care of other people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that's actually part of how I got into community organizing um, to try and kind of tackle the systems that put people in these uh, dire situations. Mm-hmm. For the hospital bills, because as you know, in Canada, it's free. Mm-hmm. We, we, we go walk in the, re- the hospital, we leave, everything's good in the hood. It's paid, right? 
in the States, how does it work? Like when you're quote unquote cured mm-hmm. and you don't have money, do they kick you out? How does it work? I, it will depend on if you have insurance and all the insurance plans here. It's like there's public and, and private um, health insurance. I'm actually not super familiar with how that kind mm. of things work because we don't we don't learn it in school and they don't necessarily like explain it to us once we're on the job. Okay. But it can, the bills really rack up. So that um, average hospital stay like per day is about 2000. And that'll also depend on location. What are your actual, um, what are you like in the hospital for what medications you're on? So it will range based on the area that you're the the hospital, the city. Um, but it can range anywhere from 1000 to like 4000 a day. And so when I was thinking about how long she'd already been in the hospital, I'm like, there's no way she's going to pay this bill. How no. are we actually supporting her to get better when we're only focusing on the immediate issues? But once she leaves here, she's, you know, stuck in the same situation. She'll oh. be back here in just a matter of time before she's back, you know? That's crazy, man. God bless Canada. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know I'm jealous. <laughs> I, hey, you know, uh, Canadians complain about the where, the healthcare system being broke and this and that. I'm, every time I hear Americans talk about their healthcare, I'm like, yo, we got it good. <laughs> we, we got it good, you know? Yeah. But I saw that you grew up in Renton, Washington. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I recognize your background. <laughs> <laughs> so was there a lot of Filipinos growing up there? Yes, yeah. There was a very large Filipino population um, in Renton. Renton, I think when I was growing up there, it was like the third largest Filipino population in Washington. Mm. Um, So there was a lot. We had a big Filipino um, community. And then it's very close by to the other cities who also like Kent, Seattle, um, Federal Way. Those all have like pretty large, significant Filipino populations. Did you, were you always proud to be Filipino or sometimes the parents pushes you not to be Filipino? What, what was mm. your case? I think, I don't know. I think growing up, I didn't really realize it until later that it was, it was, I don't think that I was like intentionally hiding it because we were always among Filipinos. It mm. didn't, it didn't even, it didn't ever feel weird or shameful to be, but I wasn't necessarily like, I didn't have the, you, have you ever seen cars where they have the Filipino flag hanging in the rearview mirror? Like it wasn't something that I was broadcasting. Most people just knew. I didn't really have to talk about it. Mm. But I think my like experience with Filipino identity um, and how it relates to my parents is that for them, um, when I started, so I when I was younger, we spoke Tagalog and Ilocano at home. When I started school, our teachers encouraged them to stop to stop teaching to talking to us in in our, our native tongue because it would be they said it would be difficult for us to learn yeah okay. um in school i don't know why because many studies show that multilingual people are actually fast they, very quick learners <laughs> they want to make you americanized that's what it yeah. is yeah mm-hmm. um yeah so that's something that unfortunately i lost the skill to to speak tagalog and ilocano i'm still i'm i can still understand them but i'm no longer fluent i have to like translate in my brain and then um speak and it takes a while you have to be immersed with native speakers to really mm. pick it back up again um is it confidence we to a confidence thing but also I, when i'm like with my family 
and I try to speak to them, I have an accent because yeah, I'm American. Like, so they're like, oh, that sounds funny. And you just kind of feel shame around even trying because yeah, of that. It's confidence. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't think it was something I ever really hid, but it just was like a very complicated relationship with being Filipino as like the eldest daughter in my family. When I grew up, all of my cousins were boys. So I just mm. felt like there was way more expectation on me to be a certain way than there was on them. <laughs> My brother is only one year younger than me, but the like standard for him was so low. <laughs> like even, <laughs> even today, my parents have such high expectations for me and how I carry myself. But for him, they're like, oh, you know, boys don't mature as quickly. I'm like, but he's mm -hmm. only one year younger than I am. That's not that much of a difference. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But, so he gets into but I I'm sorry, but I understand what you're saying there because I know even in a household, if you are the eldest is a, ma a male or a boy, mm -hmm. yeah, the the pressure is not that's that hard. Mm. It's always the girl. You have to learn this. You have to learn that. Yeah. You have to cook. You have to. And I'm like, yeah. Yo. So I was in the kitchen already by the time <laughs> as soon as I could walk. I was already in the kitchen learning how to cook, mm -hmm. cleaning. Um, yeah, caretaking. When um when I was like middle school, my some of my dad's siblings had immigrated from the Philippines, um, and we took in his brother and their family, and so mm. I was babysitting everybody. But <laughs> <laughs> I was only like twelve years old at the time. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and they just have the expectation that you're the responsible one, you're the ate, be the good example for everybody, and mm -hmm. there's just a lot of pressure. And so I associ I associated that kind of negative feelings of of pressure and familiar uh, familial expectation with being Filipino. Mm. Um, so although I didn't, I don't think I necessarily like um, outwardly rejected it or hid it. I, mm. I had a negative connotation about, oh, this is what being Filipino is and will always be my experience. And so it kind of fed into this um, desire to want to leave my hometown and move elsewhere and learn, you know, learn about other, other things, other other people, other experiences, and just uh, be able to grow in a way where it wasn't connected to my family directly. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. You're right. Being born a Philippine American, how was your relationship with your parents, specifically with mom? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I feel like um, anytime I've ever posted about my parents, it's like usually centered around my mom. Mm. Um, and they, they can be very just like angst angsty <laughs> i want to say um we have a we have a good relationship my mom did everything for us growing up she was uh she was the kind of superwoman mom she did everything mm -hmm. my dad my dad was there we were close or he's just like the kind of like emotionally unavailable i provide for my kids but i don't have to be their friend that's how my mm -hmm. dad was and so mm -hmm. my mom was kind of everything um everything else she filled in all of the gaps um, but I think when I, when I think about my relationship with my mom, I feel like there's a lot of, uh, just her own un unprocessed trauma and, and struggles from growing up. She was also the eldest daughter of her family and had a lot of expectations placed on her to take care of everybody. And mm -hmm. so I think she projects a lot of those feelings on me, um, where I don't necessarily, um, believe that I'm you know, responsible for everybody's well-being. Mm -hmm. um, and so sometimes we can clash because we're actually, we're very, we're both very similar, but the way that we kind of carry ourselves and, and um, 
kind of move through the world is opposite, I want to say, where she very much ties her value to how she serves the family unit. Mm. And that's very important to her. And so she expects the same thing of me, but I I don't feel that same um, the same way. And so mm. we can kind of butt heads. And I mm. think now as as an adult, um, especially it's it's been um, difficult, difficult because I, I understand why she's the way that she is. She's like, um, she was the first to immigrate from her family. She went to, um, well, after leaving the Philippines, she uh, immigrated to Saudi and she was a nurse in Saudi for a long time, New York. She was the one paying for her kids to, or her siblings to go to school. And so a lot of hero. The, yeah, <laughs> she, she supported all everybody. And those so, those Filipinas, man, I see some of mm -hmm. them here. I'm like Sunday morning, and they're, you know they're going to work, mm -hmm. and you know they're not just paying for their family; they're paying yeah. for the whole clan. I'm like, yo, hero over here, man. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I cut yes. you off there. Oh no, it's okay. I think, yeah, it's and I I understand, but I also I like. I, I think a lot about like what kind of person would she be if she didn't have so many of those, um, you know, I don't want to call them a burden because they're my fan, but it's like so many of those pressures on her shoulder to like take care and send all of her siblings to school and support her family back home. Um, she, when I talked to her about like, what would you have wanted to do if you didn't have to think about anything or anybody else money was an issue. She wanted to be a flight attendant so that she oh. could travel the world. Mm -hmm. And she's like, well, I ended up traveling the world, but as a nurse. <laughs> um, yeah. And I just, I just think a lot about like, she, um, when we, when they settled in the Seattle area, it was, it's mostly my dad's family that's here. So she's been separated from most of her siblings for the time that she's been in America, which has been about 30 years now, but she's like the happiest when she's with her siblings. Um, they only get to see each other like once every couple of years. Um, and I just like, I, I, she, she moved here and she worked so hard so that I can have a better life and I can be happy and not have the same struggles that she had to face. Mm. But I think when I also, when I look at her and think about how how hard she's worked i'm like i want the same thing for you we're me and my brother are grown now you don't have to worry about every little thing that we're doing enjoy yourself you've worked hard and so when i think about my process of like uh especially when i switched over from nursing to food industry it's like the food industry is so much more unstable mm -hmm. you know by comparison and so she was worried like are you gonna make enough and um are you gonna be okay and i was like i'll figure it out like I'm independent. I've learned how to take care of myself. I've been on my own for 10 years now. No mm. matter what happens, I'll figure it out. You, you're the one who provide me with the foundation um, to, you know, problem solve and, and take care of myself. Don't worry. <laughs> Please relax. Like, take care now, you know. Um, especially, like, anytime I go home to visit them, they're getting older and smaller. And so I worry that I'm, like, they're spending so much of their time and energy worrying about me and I'm like I'm okay you guys did a good job raising us I want mm. you to relax now you know and mm. so my my dad is retired um retiring at the end of the summer and I'm like good good well wait, <laughs> You've wait, done wait, your wait. time speaking <laughs> of retiring and Filipinos uh -huh. and immigrant they don't really retire they're liars no yeah they well so the thing is she wanted to go back to she's been retired since the beginning of this year and she after three months she got bored and she's <laughs> like maybe i'll go back maybe just part-time and i was like no mom you're 
take a break. <laughs> they <laughs> don't know. Pick up a hobby. Yeah, because they've done it their whole lives. It's just yeah. work and work and work. But I'm like, you you did that so that we could be where we are. So you've, you've accomplished that. Take a break. <laughs> yeah, but then they don't have a sense of what I'm going to say. Like, they don't have a sense of purpose. Because mm-hmm. yeah. all their lives, that's their purpose. And then you right. take it away and what they do now. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, unfortunately, that generation, they were never raised like, okay, once you get hit that goal, actually, you can have more goals. Yes. For them, for them is that's the goal and that's it. Mm-hmm. You yeah. Know? You mentioned that you, when you left uh, nursing, mm-hmm. how did you break it to her? I, I didn't tell them for a long time. <laughs> I was very, I was scared. Um, I, I knew that they would worry. I know. Um, yeah. And so for a long time, I didn't mention anything. I would kind of say here and they're like, well, I'm doing a pop-up. I'm selling desserts on the side, doing kind of a slow introduction of this is something that I'm considering, but never actually bringing it up directly with them. Um yeah, I think I was I was scared of how they would react, if they would be disappointed or if they would just be worried about how my situation will change. Um, and then it wasn't until last year when we signed the lease for our bakery space that I told her, I'm going to transition out of nursing and, and open a bakery. This is what I want to do with my life. I really enjoy it. It brings me a lot of joy to be able to connect with my community through food. Um, and I'm doing okay. <laughs> you don't have to worry. Um, yeah. So I, I did end up telling her. She was, I think, surprised at first. Um, it was funny. She's like, why didn't you tell us that this is what you wanted to do? She asked, like, why didn't you tell us you wanted to go to culinary school or something mm. like that? And I was like, because I, I knew that that never would have worked worked out in the beginning. Or like, you guys were already so um insistent that I I like stick to a profession that would be stable, quote unquote mm. stable. Yeah. Um so and then even at the time I don't think I even knew at the time that this is what I wanted to do. It's something that I naturally ended up gravitating towards because it it brought me so much joy. Um yeah so I think in the beginning she was really worried and she's like well don't quit right away save up money, plan <laughs> keep B. working while you're still. There's um, always a plan B. Yeah, exactly. The, the, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. When did you get the idea of starting Shop Halo Halo? Shop Halo Halo. So I started, it actually started off as an Etsy shop. So I used mm. to, um, in nursing school, to relieve stress, I was uh, um, doing a lot of artwork. I would like paint watercolor paint. I started picking up sewing and just like making arts and crafts and that kind of thing. I learned how to, um, I don't know if you've seen like traditional um, bead weaving from Mindanao or like the Cagayan Valley. It's like jewelry. that they wear on their Yeah, those. I started learning how to because I wanted to learn more about my culture. I had asked my parents a long time ago if they knew like what tribe we might have come from. They're just like so far removed from that. They didn't know. But so I just started researching the region where, um, where where's dad from and where's mom from? They're both from uh, La Union in um, Ilocos. Oh, Ilocos beautiful Nazi. place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, but my mom grew up in Manila. Um, mm. But yeah, so I just started 
researching the region and was learning about the different textiles and the beadwork there. And so I ended up having all of these crafts that I didn't know what to do with. So <laughs> I started an Etsy shop um, just to make a little bit of money on the side while I was still a student. And that was kind of where I was selling things. I named it Shop Halo Halo because you know how in Tagalog, there's like or like the Tagalog language, there's a lot of puns. People use puns. Mm -hmm. it's like we love funny. puns. Exactly. And it's so difficult to explain to people here, like the what the reason why I picked the name. Like halo halo means mix mix, right? In English, that's the direct translation. Mm -hmm. But the I wanted to pick a name that no matter what craft I was doing or what I produced or whatever, that the name would kind of match and be able to like adjust. So halo halo mix mix variety change mm. like um and then also it's the dessert itself the shaved ice with tropical fruit mm. depending on the region it's made in different different ways um so it was just something that like it's ingredients that you don't think they'll go together but they taste really good <laughs> and so I'm, right so for me it's like it reflects my goal to like provide a variety of different goods baked goods crafts that you don't think it goes together, but they they come together effortlessly. So that's kind of my my theme for my business and how I um, developed it. Um, mm -hmm. But so I was I started doing Etsy in like 2015. 2018 was when I started doing dessert pop ups um, and just like learning all of the kakanin recipes and like selling them on the side at events and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, and then that's just kind of where I. Uh, stuck to I stuck to the baking and, and recipe development um yeah and it just really it grew in popularity because it's not something you can really access here um and then the restaurant that I was working for was a vegan vegan pan-asian restaurant and so I would have to come up with ways of how to make leche flan vegan um without how are you going to do that it's like all eggs and milk yeah how and did so, you do that um condensed coconut milk and it's this uh, kind of jello powder called agar agar. It's made yes. from seaweed. Mm -hmm. um, so there's that. I would, so it was like a, it was fun too to just kind of be able to develop things um, that would then make it like more accessible to. I would have a lot of customers come in who are Filipino, but they've been vegan for 10 years. And so they come in and like, I haven't been able to eat this in 10 years because I'm vegan. Thank you for making this. And so that would make me so happy that I'm like, oh, it's already like such a, a fun thing to be able to provide um, like these nostalgic desserts for Kababayan, but then to have people who like haven't been able to eat it in so long because of other dietary restrictions or preferences also get to enjoy them. Um, yeah, it made, it was, it was a good experience to like kind of um, go through that and, and develop those things. Mm -hmm. For the pastries, I saw you make ube halaya, you made some pandan too. That pandan was awesome. I like that one. <laughs> mm, delish. Where did you get the pandan, by the way? The pandan? So here we have a few um, just Asian grocery stores. They have it like in the frozen section, the leaves. Um, and then I'll have to like blend them to make a pandan extract. They have like mm -hmm. all of the flavorings and stuff here, but I think it's better to actually use the ingredient itself. Mm -hmm. um, but it's hard to find things fresh. Of course, Without, of course. Yeah, everything's imported <laughs> from yeah. the Philippines. I love pandana. It's always like, like you said about nostalgia. It just, it reminds you when they put it with rice. Yeah. Or like some mm -hmm. drinks, you know, when you do the, the palamig, mm -hmm. you know. Oh, 
I love pandan. Yeah. How just, do you explain ha- pandan, the flavor? I, I still don't know how to explain it to people. They'll ask me. I'm like, it's I don't a know. weird you taste, <laughs> you know? It's not sweet. <laughs> it's You just know it's pandan. Yeah. It's, I, I don't... <laughs> could you ask me? I don't know how to explain that. That's like saying, you know? how do you explain the color pink? Right. You know? when you, you but you just know. It, it says like... It says um, on Google, it's like grassy vanilla. And I'm like, I don't think it's really vanilla. <laughs> kind of grassy, I guess. Herby, herbaceous. But yeah, it's yeah. such a hard flavor to explain. But it also just like encompasses so many of my childhood memories that I'm like, you just have to try it to understand because I can't explain it to you. No, you can't. You have to try yeah. it. Um, I love when I have a guest and they're into something. And it helps me. It pushes me to... Uh, make some research. So Halo Halo, mm-hmm. I didn't know where Halo Halo is from, so I did some quick Google search, and apparently mm-hmm. it came from the Japanese mm-hmm. Halo Halo. And I was like, oh, I didn't ever knew that. But of course, the Filipinos, we always have to put extra, you know. Are you selling Halo Halo now, or are you focusing on just pastry? It's still uh, baked goods and pastries, but we do serve it on our menu. Since we're not mm-hmm. open yet, we've just been doing it at a few occasional pop-ups. We'll serve it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard when we're doing like events off-site because we need access to electricity and then freezers or coolers. So mm-hmm. usually if I'm doing something um, not not in the bakery space, we don't. But when we're having pop-ups inside, then we do serve it, um, which is good because I get asked about it so often. <laughs> of the name people assume right away that oh you must serve it i'm like not outside but here we do <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. yeah that must be hard but i i'm, I'm gonna guess that's the goal to mm-hmm. serve halo halo i love halo yeah. halo man that's like my favorite <laughs> it's just like you know of course you didn't grow up in the film but me growing up in the film it's always hot mm-hmm. and you just go and it's just the, the milk and whatever else with it and it's just an yeah. easy thing to make Mm-hmm. You know? And then you can just use whatever ingredients you have on hand too. Yeah. It's like, and it's healthy. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, I'm like, all the ingredients are kind of soaked in sugar syrup. <laughs> I don't know if it's the same back there, so maybe. Well, apparently, it's different sugar over there. Uh, cane sugar, not the uh, yeah, factory sugar cane. Sugar. Mm. And to be honest, I don't know if it's the power of suggestion, but when I went back home 2019. Coke tastes different. Oh, I think so. I think it does too. It tastes there. better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. What do you think about this? Is I, my idea? Like, I feel like, of course, you're a, a businesswoman. I feel like Filipinos are better with service than being business people. But that's, so when we have a business, it has to be based on taking care of other people. What do you think of that? Um, I don't know. I think, I think because of so many Philippines on Filipinos, like work in the hospitality industry, Hmm. we, there's that kind of like the connotation that we are better at it. I don't, I don't necessarily, I, I don't know if there's a, I feel like I don't know very much of the like kind of experience of Filipinos in like, as do you mean as business owners versus serving themselves? Uh, no, more of like serving other people. Because uh, no. you know how Filipinos sure. are we're very fam- family oriented. We like taking care mm-hmm. of people. You go inside a Filipino house, they don't even say hi to you. You know what they say. <laughs> mm-hmm. Did you eat? 
Yeah. <laughs> they don't care how you feel. They care about are you full or you know you have mm-hmm. you eaten. You know, like we mm-hmm. always take care of other people, and it's actually something that I'm really proud of being Filipino. Mm-hmm. And that's why I was thinking, like, you know how why there's so much Filipino nurses than doctors? Why mm-hmm. not doctors? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure how to answer that other than like with my my own direct experience. My dad yeah. wanted to be a doctor originally, okay. but the schooling would have taken longer, more expensive. And then um, he ended up being an engineer doing a four-year course and that like allowed him to leave the country sooner. <laughs> so that's the that's the only thing I can really think of is that like for them, because the goal was to eventually immigrate out of the Philippines, mm-hmm. they wanted to do it in the most efficient way. Always. And then like for him, um, he's my dad is number seven out of 14 kids. So oh his old, his oldest sister was sending them to school too. <laughs> So they're like, no, don't be a doctor. You pick something that will be faster and, you to know, also stable. Exactly. Yeah. What do you think, think of that? The... Would you do the same thing if given in, in the situation? Uh, I don't know. It's such a hard thing to say. I feel like with with my brother already, like, it feels like I did. I gave up a lot to be to take care of him. Hmm. Um and it's it's not even anywhere near to the extent of how my parents were and with their siblings. So I'm like, I don't know if I could have if I was in that situation. I'm sure, though, that like with, with that pressure and the just kind of struggle of um, they were both from like farming families in the Philippines. Mm. So they they weren't like super poor, but they weren't rich either. And for them, mm. it was always the goal was to leave, to yeah. find a better life, to provide for their kids. So I, because I've never been in that situation, I'm not sure, or I can't, mm. you know, say for sure, but, um, you know, it's like understandable why they did what they did. And yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to I say. Know. I know. Sometimes mm-hmm. I play with that thought. I'm like, and I always make joke with my sister. My, my sister is here and I always say to her mm-hmm. that, thank God you're in Canada or else I would have never sent you money. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's insane. Like you have to take care of everyone. I mean, yeah. You know, once in a while, you give some papasco. I get mm-hmm. that. You give some gifts. But to, like, pay for your brother's kids' stu- uh, schooling, that's crazy. Yeah. And even, like, like my brother now, um, it's, like, it's it's even hard to kind of... We're, we have a good re- working relationship now, but for a long time, I had a lot of resentment towards him because it mm. felt like all of his needs were always prioritized He's mm. the younger one. He always got a pass for everything. Whereas like I had to be home, be the ate, take care of the house <laughs> while my mom was at work, babysit everybody. So it, it felt like he had more freedom. And so if I mm. kind of take just our direct relationship and put it in the context of my parents, I don't think I could have, honestly, <laughs> just knowing yeah. like where um, or even even to say that my parents would probably if if we were in the situation they would probably prioritize sending him out of the country before me even though oh, 100%. Yeah. 100% yeah 100% mm-hmm. or they will put so much pressure on you to finish college so you can so go that I can out send him. and then you can yeah. send some money back mm-hmm. it's so crazy i i have a i have few of them that i have a close friend of mine her sister all her life that's what she does she works seven days a week sends money 
Mm-hmm. Never does, she never does anything for herself. And she's like, well, you know, you have to take care of the family. Bro, you need mm-hmm. to live life too. Yeah. And it's funny because now a, a lot of, or some of my friends are starting to have kids. And then they'll ask mm-hmm. like, oh, have you considered it? Like, I don't know. I feel like I already raised family. <laughs> I raised my brother. It feels like I'm raising my parents, even though they're older. I mm-hmm. don't know. Yeah, um, you understand. I understand. Let's go back to food. Okay. <laughs> this is how I feel. What do you think about this? Like, mm-hmm. I feel like Filipinos, they're not selfish with their recipe. Like, you mm-hmm. can go to, like, any Lola and you say, Lola, how do you make the halaya? And she will tell you step by step. Mm-hmm. That I feel like some Westerners, they can, like, no, no, that's a secret recipe. I'm not telling you. What do you think of that? Yeah. Or the ingredients are, are a secret. Yeah. Um, I think in my experience, like my my aunties and my Lola were very like they would show me step by step, like you said, how to make things, but they didn't have specific ingredients or never not do. ingredients, but the <laughs> measurements. The steps. Like you just have to you just have to eye it, or you just <laughs> you know you taste it, and if it tastes correct, then it's correct. But like, well, if you're trying to recreate it from scratch and you don't have them there, it's hard to figure it out. Like that's how. That's how I learned just through experience and doing it alongside them. Otherwise, they don't like write down the recipe. No. It's just something that they also grew up making and they, they learned how to just eye the ingredients. And mm. so it's funny because now I'm I'm teaching um, my part-time employees how to bake these recipes. And I'm it's they're like, you're the same way. <laughs> Where I'm like, <laughs> you just shows I don't have like the recipes written down necessarily. It's because I already have them in my head and I've been making them for years and years. Mm-hmm. I just eye it. And so they're like, well, how are we supposed to recreate it then? <laughs> um, but yeah, they were, they were very like um, when I wanted to learn how to make something, they were very clear about how, how to do it. What are the steps? But um, it's, uh, it's funny, like seeing other, other titas who aren't in my family, like make the every, because each family has their own different way mm. to of making it. And then each region has their own way of making certain things. And so sometimes I'll be making something and then my friend's mom will be like, well, that's not how you do it. This is what you should use and this and this. I'm like, well, this mm. is how I grew up eating it, yeah. you know? So I understand that. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think it also is reflective mm. of like the diver- diversity of the cuisine. Everybody yeah. makes everything differently. And so it's not just one way it also depends on like what is available locally mm-hmm. um what is you know uh what is in season that mm-hmm. kind of thing um so it's yeah it's just very like reflective of of the the vastness of our culture we're not just monolithic people you know no no not at all man that's what i love like like you said you can, you can i'll be eating adobo and i could go to the next town and mm-hmm. they completely they put eggs or whatever i'm like yeah. I'm like, yo, I love this shit, you know? <laughs> the restaurant I worked for, they made adobo with, uh, they put carrots in it. And I'm carrots. Like, I don't get carrots. Yeah. And then they use, it was very, um, in my family, our adobo was pretty sweet. We didn't, mm. we did added brown sugar. It was probably more soy sauce than vinegar. But mm. here it was so sour. And I'm like, why, why are you put so much vinegar in here? And then they put carrots, no potatoes. Does your family put potatoes? Potatoes, yes. Yes, they we yes. do, but usually since we don't have money, because we grew up poor, no potatoes. Mm. So and but my Lola, she use she makes two, she makes two mm-hmm. kinds of adobo. One is she calls adobo, and then mm-hmm. the other one's called adobo matanda. For uh-huh. the listeners, adobo matanda means uh, uh, an old 
uh, an old adobo. So the old mm-hmm. adobo or adobo matanda, it's, there's no sauce. There's no sauce on it. It's just the meat and vinegar and whatever else, you know? And then mm-hmm. the adobo, is, it, has the, it has the sauce. Both mm-hmm. are delicious. So, but she never taught me how to, how to cook. Like no, because I, I tr- she, my grandma, rest her soul, she's one of those people in my town that like, if there's a wedding, she's the one, she's the chef. Mm. And so one time I went up to her, I said, yo, Lola, teach me how to cook. So, you know, one day I have a girlfriend, I'm going to cook for her. <laughs> my, she is, she's vicious. She's loving, but she's vicious. Like she said, uh-huh. shut the F up, go to the <laughs> table and wait for your food. <laughs> That's so funny. Because <laughs> for her, it's like it has to be the woman to cook. Mm-hmm. But the funny thing is she thought my dad how to cook. Uh-huh. Like it doesn't make sense. I know. That's how my dad is. My dad is a really good cook, but he never cooks. And it's so it's frustrating because like, that's not fair. My mom shouldn't have to cook all the time. But also because I'm like, he he makes a, my favorite dish that he makes is beef nilaga. Mm. And I'm like, I love, it's my favorite. That's my favorite Filipino dish. And he mm. makes it, like for me, he makes it the best. But he never cooks. And I'm like, I want you to. So anytime I come home, I ask him to make it because I always crave that. But yeah, he's a really good cook. Yeah. He does it? He cooks the nilaga? Yeah, he does. He does. Just because mm. I... I don't go home super often, so when I do, it's like special occasion. Yeah, um, and he'll cook it because he knows that I, yeah, it's my favorite. Exactly. I'm like sometimes I think I'm like you're a better cook than mom. You should cook more often. <laughs> like my mom is a good cook, but there's mm-hmm. something about when maybe it's because it's he doesn't do it often that it feels more special when he does cook. But maybe. Yeah. Oh, I tell my mom not to cook. She's gonna listen to this, by the way, and I love you, mom, as you know. <laughs> But I, we always tell her, get away from the kitchen. You do something <laughs> else. Let dad cook. Because mm. my, my mom's Tagalog and mm. my dad's Bicolano. Mm. And he always put extra spice. Yeah. And he's such a good cook. Because he has that Bicolano thing. And then he grew up in, in the Tagalog region. So he, he has those two. And if he fused it, right? Mm-hmm. And he makes this like Bicol Express. Ooh. Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> That's one thing I always like. I always say, uh, I always say, like, yo, you have to cook that. And my mom's mm-hmm. like, that's always Bicol Express. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you don't understand. You know, it's the yeah. best, you know. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you, I think we talked about this earlier, that why do you think Filipino food is not as popular as Thai food or Chinese food or whatever mm-hmm. Asian food? I. It's it's funny. I've been trying to kind of look into it and just like history, the history of Filipino food in the U.S. I think mm. for a long time it's been viewed as kind of like uh, not as sophisticated and flavorful. We use a lot of the same ingredients ingredients for many dishes. Mm. I think too, it's like uh, at least where where I grow up, when there was a Filipino restaurant and we'd go and try it. My parents would be like, oh, we can make this better at home. So why would we <laughs> go out to eat? Yes. Um, I think I think that was like a really huge part of like Lutong Bahay was always better than eating out. It's mm. always tastes better. Um, and then a lot of the times it would be, you, it's like, yeah, cheaper to make it at home in large batches for families um, rather than going out to eat. Um, 
there's that. I'm not sure why it's, it feels like now it's getting kind of its uptick in like the mainstream with like, Ube is everywhere because it's purple and it's pretty for IG and like the dishes. There's, there's so many more um, like critically acclaimed Filipino chefs who are like really bringing it into the mainstream, which is really, it's amazing. I, I don't know why it's taken so long to really gain the popularity that it, it's now, you know, getting. Mm. I think we don't have that guy or woman that was that are famous that will push the food. Mm-hmm. I think that's what we don't have. Like Bourdain, rest in peace, he loved Filipino food, right? But mm-hmm. I think he didn't do it enough for it to be famous. Yeah. You know? But mm-hmm. hey, listen, lumpia versus spring roll, not even close. <laughs> And I feel like people too, it's like they, they know what is like the familiar items or the most commonly served like adobo, lumpia, pancit. But like there's so much more to Filipino I cuisine know. than just those three dishes. I hate when people are like, oh, you're Filipino adobo. Like, bro, yeah. do you even know how many food we have? <laughs> yeah. Like, adobo is like on. basic. Right. Mm-hmm. Or you know, lechon like, or whatever. Especially like Ilocanos, my God, their food are delicious. I always say like, I love my dad's cooking. The galgs are good too. But man, mm-hmm. the Ilocanos, the Pampangans, man, your food are just <laughs> something else. It's like above. <laughs> what is your ultimate goal for Chef Halo Halo? My ultimate goal? Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, well, aside from opening, finally, <laughs> opening our bakery, it's... I, I got my start and, and really gained popularity through popping up at other small businesses. Mm. Um, and so when I was thinking of the concept for for potentially opening my own space, I actually, I met, um, we, we co-shared the space with a plant shop called Daphne's Botanicals. Mm. Um, I met Daphne at a market two, I think two years ago, almost two years ago now. She's Filipina also. Um, and she had reached out to me a couple months after that market and trying my desserts and asked if I'd ever considered opening my own space. Um, and I told her, yes, I've thought about it, but it's such a huge, a huge, you know, endeavor. I, mm-hmm. I like, I don't have generational wealth. I don't know how I would even <laughs> do that. I don't have, you know, crazy savings to just like drop on a space. Um and and so it was something that like if I if I ever was to open my own um, brick and mortar I would have to fundraise for it or do crowdfunding, um, but then part of it too was like wanting to have a space um, for our community to gather just because there's there's a fairly large Filipino population in Portland we're kind of scattered out um, and and only in the last two to three years have there been more Filipino spots popping up but when I first moved here ten years ago you there was one like one or two filipino restaurants tambayan in southeast and then um bobalicious which i don't even know if they serve boba but they serve like carinderia style filipino food mm-hmm. in southwest and so they're both like on opposite ends of the city and that's where i would go for filipino food mm. and so i just wanted to like create a hub and a space for our our folks to gather and to be able to like build community with one another um over food over these desserts that um you can't you know you can't find them anywhere in this city um and and because I, I got my start popping up at other small businesses too I wanted to be able to provide a space for up-and-coming um vendors and small businesses to also 
um, get their name out there. And so already, even though we're not open, we've been kind of utilizing the dining area as a pop-up space. We've held a few events already, um, inviting small um, businesses to uh, set up their tables, sell their artwork or, um, yeah, their artwork, accessories, that kind of thing, um, and just have a space for people to gather and feel safe and eat eat because <laughs> that's how we that's like how we really like build with one another is over food is there I think anything that's like else the right <laughs> yeah. i love when i love when we eat and then we talk about food that we ate and food yeah. that we're gonna eat and then food exactly. about like we're eating can we just eat <laughs> you just get hungrier while eating yeah um, yeah i think too i um i do some uh, i'm a project coordinator for the foundation for philippine progress here it's a yes. local filipino nonprofit. we do mm -hmm. um, a lot of natural disaster relief in the philippines but also starting to offer more um uh, uh locally offer like more culturally relevant education around history and oh. language um and so it's it's work that i've also um hoping to support through Shop Halo Halo in terms of this monetary donations, but also to offer the space for people to gather, to have workshops, to learn. Um, we like, over the course of the pandemic, we're holding like a book club, um, mm. language classes all over Zoom, but we're wanting to do things more in person. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, there's there's that as well. That's amazing. Are you guys going to teaching uh, by Bayan? Um, I don't know anybody who knows how to do it <laughs> that would be really amazing to have a workshop to, mm. to teach it i know some people i've been doing it i've been i've started mm -hmm. my own uh, uh instagram account i've been doing by buy-in but mm -hmm. i know people like high level if you want i could hook you up oh They're yeah some from california some uh, well actually christian kabua he's like the guy for mm -hmm. by buy-in i could hook cool. you up with him he's yeah. pretty amazing he really knows his stuff mm -hmm. you know Oh yeah, but, but that would be amazing that if you do it by Bayan, because it needs to be revived, you know. Mm -hmm. I saw you're a member of Gabriela too. Yes, yes, I was one of the founding members of Gabriela Portland here. Really? Wow! Your organization, Gabriela, is it connected to the one back home? Yes. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's pretty. How do you come up with the idea? Um, well, here, so when, when I was in college here, when we um, first started it, it was just a, a couple of Pinais who we, none of us were from Portland. We are kind of just like wanting to be in community with other Filipinos, um, feeling very isolated. Some members were from Alaska or California, and um, we were just like learning, um, learning like history of the Philippines. Um, what are the like conditions of Filipinos? What has led so many Filipinos to leave the country in search of a better life. And there's just so many issues back home that leave folks with not very many options to, um, you know, live a fulfilling, a fulfilled and um, uh, life back home. There are like a, a lot of, and it was like the experience of so many of us that our parents left to, to find better elsewhere. Mm -hmm. um, so there was that aspect of it of like, what are the issues back home that are causing that? And then also, how do we support one another? How does that link to our experiences as Filipino Americans? How can we serve um, our community um, and, and educate folks about things that are impacting Filipinos? And so right now, Gabriela is working with, um, we're uh, doing this uh, caregiver campaign to like learn about the caregiving issues in, in the city. The, car mm. the caregiving industry in Oregon is very unregulated. 
Um, and we're meeting more and more migrant Filipinas who are being underpaid and overworked, who um, have issues with their visas and that kind of thing, and trying to support them with like the legalities around them, but also empower them to also demand more from their employers that they have rights as workers, they um, deserve to get paid a living wage, that kind of thing, like supporting Filipino women and their families, because they already had such a hard time back home. You don't want to keep recreating the issues that they faced now here in the U.S., you know. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's like building kind of a base of support for um, Filipino migrants and their families here in this city. Um, and that's kind of the work that we're focused on right now. You're a powerhouse. <laughs> My God, you're busy. Like a lot. <laughs> Definitely. Trying to save the world, trying to food, feed the world. That's amazing. Thank you. I saw that you went to the Philippines for, was it Gabriela or for the foundation? It was for Gabriela. We went in um, 2019 um, in December. It was like right before when we got back, it was the, we went into lockdown. I was like, oh, I'm so glad we got to go before because that was my first time back home in 10 years. Oh, wow. Um, so it was like a, a really good homecoming, but we went there and spent some time in Panay getting to know the communities. Uh, we stayed in like a fishing village and learned um, some of the struggles that the people there were facing. They're being kind of overtaken by foreign companies, um, oh, like encroaching on the fishing space. And then there's like a, a large um, electrical company that was buying up land in the area and displacing people. Um, we were learning um some of the kind of just ongoing struggles after Typhoon Haiyan. Um, people there, there's still folks who like um, haven't been able to rebuild fully or had to like abandon their homes and have to build elsewhere because there wasn't any sort of kind of government support for the people impacted by the typhoon. Mm -hmm. And then of course, like typhoon season in the Philippines is always so <laughs> devastating. And so it's like, if you live in a bamboo hut and your you know home gets blown over by a typhoon it's hard to have to keep rebuilding it every mm -hmm. year and then when you take into consideration the environmental degradation the coral reefs are being destroyed the like the coastline is so vulnerable and so we were meeting so many people who already are are very um are in a precarious state they're all like not um there are a lot of like impoverished people who on the day-to-day -day are just trying to find ways to survive survive and then are consistently just pushed over by environmental issues the government encroaching on their rights foreign corporations and so we were listening to so many of these stories of people who they just want livelihood they just want to be able to get by without having to stress about what am i going to eat tonight mm. how am i going to feed my kids how can i send my kids to school um and it's such a it's it's not an uncommon thing back there and so when you think about the migration patterns of Filipinos and why so many people leave, a lot of it is economic issues that aren't being addressed. Um, yeah. And it, it's like the Philippines is so rich in natural resources, but none of that is utilized well to support its people. But it really could. We have so many uh, minerals, yes. <laughs> you know, and it's like a lot of that, that wealth that gets extracted from the land serves foreign companies mm -hmm. um, when it could be used to support the Filipino, the, the people already there so that they don't have to leave so that they can survive in their homeland, you know? Um, and so um, I got involved in that work because that's, that's how my parents were too. They had to leave to survive. And so it's, it's something that like 
I, I feel very passionate about, about not, not wanting that to be the case for more and more people um, that the Philippines should be able to, to support um, its population with the riches that we have already. Uh, and it's very unfortunate that folks are pushed to leave the country just to survive in their day-to-day. -day. Um, yeah. They don't even ask for much, you know, like give me a few exactly. and they're happy. Mm -hmm. Like a great example in the, the in the town I grew up in, the mayor is like super rich. And I'm like, bro, <laughs> give them a little bit, just a little mm -hmm. bit. Would you die to yeah. give some? But no, mm -hmm. it's greed. Yes. Oh, my goodness. There was um, a few like barangays that we visited where they're... They had like um, water wells, but there would be like, if it's in the kind of specific land or the plot of a specific family, they'll like charge people to yep. just, you know, refill their water. It's like supposed to be public. Um, there's like so many resources that are just unavailable to people because of greed and corruption. And it's really unfortunate. And these are like stories that because they're so common, they don't necessarily get like pushed out into the mainstream. Like, these are issues being faced back home that could be you know, resolved with our own resources, but they're not. Um, yes, and it's very, very unfortunate. Yeah, like how many millions do you need? Seriously, mm -hmm. like right. They don't even ask much. They just mm -hmm. a house, like you said, a simple house, a little bit of you know money, and that's it. Mm -hmm. As long as yeah. they, as long they can feed their kids, mm -hmm. they can go to school. They're they're good. Yeah. And it's also interesting to think about how many Filipinos like enter the healthcare profession, but end up leaving. I was like talking to family about how COVID, you know, the COVID situation back home. And um, a lot of my family are like in the province, in the Philippines, they don't, they have like one regional hospital. And if you don't have money, when you get there, they turn you away. Mm -hmm. And that should not be the case. <laughs> Or there'll be like 10 patients in one room and like, there's no way any of these people can really get better if that's that's how they're being cared for. Yeah, you're right. Do you think it's getting better, the situation, or the it's just getting worse? Overall situation? Yeah. I, I, I think it's getting worse, <laughs> yeah. to be honest. I think it's getting worse. I think also it's like um, a combination of like the actual like domestic issues back there but also like the u.s has a lot of its sticky fingers in the mm -hmm. philippines extracting resources and kind of playing the game in its favor and so it's i don't think what they're doing is making things better yeah i agree i hundred percent listen jeline thank <laughs> you so much for uh, coming on the podcast before we close out can i ask you one more question yes what does it mean to you to be a Filipina in the diaspora? Filipina in the diaspora. Oh my gosh, that's such a hard question to answer. Um, I think for me, it's like resilience, wanting to feel connected to my homeland, being very, uh, or and trying having to like find that out for myself, if that makes sense. It was like, hmm. I grew up with Filipinos, but I didn't know necessarily what it meant to be Filipino. Hmm. And um, so there's like so many different aspects of it, of of um, very being very family oriented, um, being very proud of our culture and our, um, just our like uh, 
our history. There's just like so much resilience in being a Filipino and diaspora and being separated from your motherland, but still having such huge, uh, deep love for our culture and our family and our people. Um, yeah, so it's, it's such a difficult question to answer. I think I'm still actually finding it out or like, yeah, finding the answer for myself. But um, I'm just hoping that like in sharing my my story and my family story, it brings people closer or, you know, like uh, pushes folks to also think about what it means for them. That's what we're trying to do here. Again, Jeline, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Of course. Before we close out, do you have any last remarks or? Um, any last remarks? No, I'm, I've really enjoyed myself. Thank you so much for making it an amazing experience. I always get nervous <laughs> with <laughs> these kinds of things, but so it's, mm. it's nice when they're very like conversational like this. But yes, um, yeah, thank you for having me. I hope um, if there are any listeners in Portland, come visit my bakery. It's on Southeast Woodstock. We're opening mm. July 15th. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, very excited. Thank you. Uh, excellent. Again, have a good evening. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you again, Jeline, for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, listeners, for listening. This is Andal Yosa for An Immigrant's Life. I'll see you guys later.